Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons. It's been about four weeks since our last episode, and I apologize for the delay in getting out new material. We recorded the episode you're about to hear approximately two weeks ago, but other obligations kept me from getting the audio file edited and pushed out to the web. So hopefully you're enjoying some quiet time during this last week in December and making plans for a fabulous 2017. Adam, Brian, Carmen, and myself have been making plans, and hopefully you'll enjoy the guests and topics that we bring to you uh, during the coming year. So in this episode, we are going to respond to listener Jared's questions about surviving engineering school. And if you're an engineering student, hopefully it will provide some good advice. And if you are a former engineering student, hopefully you'll enjoy some memories as we discuss how engineering students cope with the engineering curriculum. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 122, Jared Asks, December 26th, 2016. So, Carmen, where do you turn for answers when you're not sure where to start? Well, I'm infallible, so that's never happened. Um, oh, yeah. Pope Carmen. I, I just always have the answer right at my fingertips. I forgot. You were the wrong, you were the wrong person to ask that opening question. You're, you're just so worried about having us all answer an equal number of questions that you overlooked that fact. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, now, it's, it's hard to believe, but we've each had uh, quite a few turns on answering the opening question. Is it 10 each thus far? It is more than 10 each. It's considerably more <laughs> than 10 each. You're, you're the wrong order of magnitude, Brian. You're a shit engineer. You can't even estimate. <laughs> well, some, something less than 100. I'd say he's not too far off, off on the order of magnitude. Oh, no, but, it, you know, 10 versus... Well, shit, am I the terrible engineer? No, you're not a terrible engineer either. <laughs> we just established you're infallible. Well, I, I'm not estimating well either. <laughs> All right. So uh, as best I can tell, with the opening this evening that you answered, Carmen, you were the first to answer the opening question 24 times, whereas the th other three of us, Adam, Brian, and myself, have each, each answered the opening question 23 times. Boom. First past the post, I win. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as far as long as we're adding totals, the as of the previous podcast, which was 120, we have 150 hours and 40 minutes and 32 seconds of podcast time. Damn. That's, that's episode 120, not 121? Uh, I guess you're right. That was through episode 121. So we got another hour or so on there. No, no. I've counted the one. The 150 is through episode 121. Ah, okay. But that means if you started at the beginning of the week, is that an entire week? Not quite yet. 168 hours. Okay, so we're getting there. Soon somebody could, somebody could torture themselves by listening to all the episodes of the podcast continuously <laughs> for an entire week. Don't do that. That's like the Surgeon General doesn't recommend doing that. Small doses of us is better. Too much engineering. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. 
you know, when you've done this many podcasts, you've gone through more than 120 episodes, then sometimes you have to uh, stop and think, well, what would be a good thing to talk about in the next episode? Hmm. Which is usually done about 20 minutes beforehand. <laughs> yes, uh, sometimes <laughs> that is the case. No, sometimes we put at least 20 minutes of research in, so it's 40 minutes. Absolutely. That's right. When, when we really care, when we're really concerned. No, of course. Uh, that's that's about right. Our interview with Grady, we just called him up and we we're like, hey, man, you got some time? And he was like, yeah, sure. And we, you know, we told him we were from the Census Bureau and then just put it up on our podcast. Is that how it happened? Yeah. Yeah. The Census really cares about YouTube stars. So <laughs> <laughs> in an off year. <laughs> Right. Well, we had recently received an email. We Actually, we had recently received a lot of emails. And so I want to go back again. Since I changed jobs in the summer, uh, I've just been swamped. And, and uh, finding the time to keep up with uh, getting the episodes out has been about all we can do. And, and the other guys have pitched in and helped and, and done a, a wonderful job of helping to keep us in uh, uh, outlines and, and ideas. Uh, but there are a number of people that have written to us that uh, we've not gotten back to. And so uh, I just wanted to say uh, first, thank you for writing to us and, and giving us some ideas and uh, in some cases uh, suggesting, suggesting guests or making yourself available as potential guests. Uh, and, and to an apology that we, we just haven't gotten back to many of you. We've been really swamped trying to keep up. So I'm hoping that maybe during the holidays, uh, at least for me, when the semester ends in a few weeks that maybe I can, I can, uh, catch up with some of the correspondence, uh, but for the uh, the faith, faithful listeners that have, might have uh, written in and wondered whether their email got lost into a, uh, a you know, black hole, uh, no, we, we have track of them. We keep track of them. I, I know they're there, uh, but uh, again, it's been, uh, it's been a busy semester. Uh, the new job has just been sort of kicking my butt, uh, and so my apologies for not doing a better job of uh, getting back to uh, those of you who have written. Yeah, we really appreciate all the emails and the feedback from you guys. Well, not all of it. <laughs> Most of it. Just because everyone tells us to kick you off the show, man, doesn't mean you got to hate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Said you're practically Canadian, and this is this is not an international <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Says the guy who grew up 20 minutes from the Canadian border in Buffalo. Yeah, Minnesota's not Canadian. We're just often mistaken for Canadians. Uh, how far is Minneapolis from the border? Uh, three, four hours. Okay, so see, I'm more Canadian than you because I grew up 20 minutes from the border. Yes. Traitor. A, those are fighting words. Let me set down my tim- box of Timbits, come after you. This is a contentious time in the U.S., as you can tell, international listeners. <laughs> but uh, all that aside. Yes. So what was our topic tonight, Jeff? Well, that was the point I was getting to was that uh, – uh, after 121 episodes, we sort of have to uh, scramble to think of what we're going to talk out about next. And it just so happens we received a letter from a listener named Jared. And Jared was kind enough to write us and ask a few questions. Uh, it appears that Jared is a engineering student and had some questions about being in college, completing his engineering studies, and so uh, he sort of grouped his questions into sort of eight big bundles. And uh, so we thought that for this episode, we would go through Jared's questions and uh, see if we could give him some advice. 
We should start by giving out Jared's full email address. <laughs> no, let's not do that. <laughs> if at some point perhaps Jared wants to come on and, and uh, respond to these things or, or add some input, what it's like to be uh, an engineering student these days, we'd be happy to have him come on. But uh, until then, we'll just uh, we'll identify him as Jared and nothing more than that. We've set, we've set up a straw man, Jared, that we're all looking at right now. So <laughs> yeah. we can attack him as needed. Right. <laughs> Jared, you have at least an hour before I give out your phone number. <laughs> Contact us if if you want to prevent that. You want a million dollars in a black duffel bag yes. by the end of this episode. <laughs> if our demands are not met, I don't know what will happen. All right. Actual, actual interaction with a... Or delayed interaction with a engineering student. We should jump into this. So, what's the first question? Uh, so, the first question says, "Is it normal to just get by in some classes?" I've done pretty well in most of my classes so far, but some upper-level math classes leave me feeling like I'm understanding about seventy-five of seventy-five percent of what's being taught. Should I be concerned enough to want to retake a past class just to understand the material better? So I guess we can divvy that up into uh, three portions. Part one, is it normal to just get by? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did pretty well uh, throughout college. You know, I made Dean's List more often than I didn't. But uh, yeah, there are definitely some classes I just put my head down and wish they were over. Um, <laughs> you, you can't like everything. You can't do good in everything. Sometimes you do just get a, a professor you don't click with, and that, that is definitely perfectly normal. I would say, especially for an engineer, I don't know, I, I, I have a lot of weird ideas, particularly when it comes to math, um, and I can't wait to hear Jeff's opinion. But uh, And I'll also caveat this with saying every school is different, but a lot of times – Math classes are taught by math professors, people who have a PhD in mathematics and or some derivative thereof and are rarely taught by engineers. I'd say it depends on who who offers the class in the department. All my higher level math classes that were offered in the EE department were taught by the EE professors. Oh, they've been good. That has not been my experience. Uh, when you, when you say higher level, what, what are you referring to? Like what's your cutoff? Uh, I mean, well, RIT was a five year program. So I guess anything after my third year, but I, uh, so like your Cal classes. Uh, oh yeah. No, that was all year. through the math department. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was referring to. So, oh, okay. I took higher level to mean he's towards the end of his college career. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, yeah. Jeff, does it say in his email? I can pull it up here and try and look yeah, myself. It, it does. It indicates that uh, he had previously received a uh, BS in clinical laboratory science, uh, decided to go back for a BS in mechanical engineering, and is currently in his second year. Okay. So, okay. So he's been around the block once before, but. Uh, so let okay. me ask this question What's a higher level math? I mean, okay, so I would consider normal normal prerequisites for most engineering are going to be probably three semesters of calculus, a difficult linear algebra. Um, Some vectors class. Well, I mean, that's in your third semester of calc probably, right? True. And Or multivariable calculus. And you might have a discrete math in there. Is anyone doing much more than that at an undergraduate level? Probably not. I had to take a whole course on complex numbers and conformal mapping and stuff. 
Okay, so that I mean that's that's interesting, uh, Jeff. What's your what is your expert opinion? Well, the the uh, the ABET, uh, my understanding is the ABET accreditation is pretty open. You you get declare declare what math has to be taken at your university. So, you know, but most universities pretty much conform to all the other universities, and so you get through uh, a couple three semesters of of uh, calculus like courses and and. Uh, Depending on what the emphasis is, you know whether there's more partial differential equations, more ordinary differential equations. Uh, but mm-hmm. but the idea is that you're going to get uh, you're going to get up through about that level of math. When you start to get into you know uh, complex analysis, that's usually I think getting into uh, grad level courses. What I would say is though, math at the undergraduate level often being taught by math professors means to a wide variety of students too, not just engineers. Exactly. But it's also typically directed for people that are on a math track, at least the couple schools I have experience with, or at least it seems that way. My layperson's understanding is the course progression inside of most math programs are for people who are going to get, you know, a mathematics degree, you know, or study actuarials or, or you know it's it's not a it's not a scientific or computationally heavy math program typically it's it's more analytical am i saying anything that anyone dramatically disagrees with not so far okay so i think it was gilbert strang at M- mit who had a great article on why calc is vastly overtaught mm-hmm. And linear algebra is vastly undertaught, and it is my opinion that I both agree with him and get really angry at the fact that we do even a semester, uh, more than one semester of calculus. Um, then I would also say that we don't do anywhere near enough uh, computational mathematics at the undergraduate level. Right. And I'll polish that off by saying almost any real world system that you want to describe mathematically cannot be described analytically. At least in my experience, never a closed form solution for any sufficiently complicated system. Jeff, there's your opportunity to disagree. I'm I'm staring at the wall trying to think where you're wrong, but um so I think that, that it depends on what you're trying to do. It's, a, it's oftentimes good to have a simplified model, and then your analytical solutions will get you some, hopefully some insight as to what's going on. Uh, but I, I, I think you're right. If you're doing something where you're really trying to find system response, then many times, if, if as the complexity of the model grows, you have to turn to numerical analysis to get some sort of value, which uh, turns to your comment about numerical computation. Exactly. And I guess that's my point. I wish when I was doing my undergraduate that that was made more abundantly clear. Yeah. And I felt like most of the mathematical rigor was driven towards, hey, everything has a nice closed form, closed form solution, even in physics, you know, yes. derive the behavior of this system. Yeah. You know, and I don't even think I heard the words uh, three body problem. Mm-hmm. When I was an undergraduate. Right. And I guess that really pisses me off. And rant. Yeah. 
So no, to, to answer Jared's question, I don't think it's that important, but I also think it's, and I also think that math ends up being confusing for engineers because it isn't taught in a way that's meaningful for engineers. Others can probably disagree. I'm waiting for Carmen to take a position that no, everyone should have to derive Maxwell's equations. No, no. I mean, I agree with the most of your stuff. I can nitpick things here and there about, you know, only a semester of calc, but whatever. On the whole, I, I agree. Um, you know, I felt the same way about some of my physics classes when they would talk about E&M stuff or circuit, you know, design and well, circuit design, you know, resistor networks or whatever the hell you cover in undergrad physics. <laughs> and it, it just was not very exciting. And they taught it really abstract, especially because I took circuits through the EE department first. So I already had all that more practical, you know, worthwhile knowledge of it. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> and it, it, not saying it's bad, but you know, it, it was definitely more engaging when it was taught to be used as opposed to like in the abstract. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess we can we can back up to uh, we sort of got off on the math aspect of it, but so is it normal to just get by in some classes? Yes. And and I think you for most of us, I mean, there are those who are just outstanding students and have the wherewithal to make it through and understand most of this stuff, or at least ace all their courses. But uh, I mean, I remember my senior year, I was just begging to get out. I I couldn't think of anything else. I took a course in turbo machinery, and to this day, the only thing I remember from that is they talked about the stagger angle, and the uh, the professor joked that that was the angle you walked at as you stumbled back across the bridge from Lafayette back into West Lafayette after an evening of drinking. <laughs> Does that connect to the Tremie pipe? What did you say? What kind of pipe? Oh, what, what was it? I was quoting the retro encabulator. Oh, okay. The uh, Tremie pipe. <laughs> okay. It's right next to the lunar raining wing shaft. Yes. And the uh, reluctance engines. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that, that for most people, at some point, they, they're just hanging on for dear life. It, the, it, you know, uh, uh, our guest Dave Goldberg ta pr talked previously about getting through engineering school as being the math science death march. And, uh, you know, for most, at some point, you just have to hang on and, and uh, do the best you can. Uh, yeah. And when you get out, you know, yes, your GPA is important to the hiring agencies when you're getting out. And so at the point you graduate or you want to get into grad school, yes, they look at their GPAs. You first hire into a, a corporation and they have nothing else to go on. You know, do we hire uh, engineer A or engineer B? Well, let's look at their GPAs. But at pretty much three years down the road, they're not looking at it much. And I would dare say that five years down the road, they don't care what your GPA was. At, at five years, you've either proven that you can do stuff as an engineer you haven't, and and the, the GPA just doesn't really carry much weight at all at that point. Yeah. And as for retaking a class, um, I, I would say not through the school, no. If you, unless you really, really feel you need to take it again with a professor or you're going to lose out on some sort of free ride scholarship – I, I don't think it's worth it, uh, especially for what it sounds like to be a prereq class in like math or science. There's plenty of open source courses and videos online that having been through it once and as you go through it again, you'd be surprised at how much you picked up and seeing it a second time in a slightly different way. Uh, you know, it just something clicks and you'll find you understand it a lot better, I think. 
And also, I mean, you might not even, I think it's hard to say you don't even understand the math or even the topic until you've really applied it and failed to apply it several times <laughs> yeah. in industry. Yeah. I just, I think I just heard an engineer the other day say. It doesn't even have to be industry too. It could just be in your research lab or another class or whatever. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I heard an engineer the other day say, you know, each year they forget more and more and more what they learned in school and is anything going to be left? And this is somebody who's young and goes, is anything going to be left after a couple of years? <laughs> what was the point of going to school? Yeah. Well, we, I don't know. It, it still helped me, but yeah, you definitely dull the, uh, the, the sharpness of your skills that you don't use constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, uh, to, uh, Jared's, uh, final, uh, query here in, in question one, should I be concerned enough to want to retake a past class? I don't think so. If you if you did well enough to pass the class, means you probably understand the material enough to go back and study it on your own at some point. And so, if the question is, if you think it's important, uh, you I mean, you could spend the money and go back retake the course. But if you've passed it, I would say if you're going to spend that time studying, you can do it on your own. You have the textbooks, you have the internet, uh, and where you really understand this material is usually sitting down and working through it yourself. Uh, or, you know, working through the proofs, working through the, the homework. Uh, if you get stuck, usually you can find a professor somewhere on campus who will take a few minutes and, and, uh, give you a, a hint as to how to work through some problem. Um, so, you know, if, if you need to, if it, if, you know, your grade point average is in jeopardy, uh, or you, you know, this is, this material is really important to you, then, then sure. But I think that, uh, I think that the most engineering students, uh, you know, again, sort of, uh, as Carmen said, put their head down and, and uh, you know, plow through and uh, keep working towards the end. Because again, the what the goal here for for most, uh, you know, if you if you want to be an academic researcher, then the situation is a little different. You know, mastery of this material is more important because you are going into a realm where that's where you do. You know, you're going to be competing with other very bright students who are who are mastering this material. Uh, but if your goal is to get into industry, I would say get through the degree, get the degree, get the job. You know, uh, we've, we've joked before that uh, uh, an engineering degree is just a learning permit, a learner's permit to go do the engineering job. And so the goal is to, as quickly as you can, get to the point where you can be hired on as an engineer so you can start learning that curriculum, which will be different than your academic curriculum. Amen. Amen. We are in agreement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have quorum. All right. Question two. Uh, what sort of things do you guys wish you would have done differently in school? Are there topics you feel are critical and you would have spent more time reinforcing your understanding of? What study tactics paid dividends? What were less effective? Note cards, note cards, note cards, right? Yes. Just memorize everything. Memorize every potential uh, uh, solution. Have spoken out against rote memorization, though, many a times? Of course I have. (laughs) But but, (laughs) I've kind of given up. (laughs) But I'll say when when I went through – so, you know, again, I didn't have the typical academic career. I I got out of school, was out of school for more than 20 years before I decided I wanted to go back for my doctorate. And so I hadn't, you know, I hadn't worked a calculus problem in 20 some years. Um, so that, that's also 
an addendum to the answer to number one. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, Working in industry, no calculus for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Barely, barely any algebra, right? They they want you to they say, well, here go. Uh, we need a, a servo motor for this, and they'd go, well, uh, you know, shouldn't I sit down and do a few calculations about you know power draw or you know something? And they go, oh no no no, go find a vendor, right? Go go talk to the uh, the vendors and bring them in and and let them do all the calculations for you. We don't want you wasting your valuable time doing calculations. Uh, they're they're the vendor will ultimately be responsible for installing the system. So let them do that. Um, just, just make sure they don't make any major mistakes. And then you'll be depressed to find out the vendor's using a spreadsheet. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so you went back to college. I, I oh, yeah. diverted you. Anyway, one of the things you have to do when you go back for a doctorate usually is they make you take area exams. So first you have to get admitted to the college and then usually in your second or third or well, depending on the university, second or third or fourth semester, they make you take area exams, which is to demonstrate that you have sufficiently carried over what you should have known as an undergrad and maybe the first year of your grad studies uh, to continue as a researcher, that, you're, uh, that you didn't just sort of sneak into the university somehow and uh, don't really understand the material. And so basically they say, Here's the date where you're going to show up for your exam, and here's a a copy of all the past exams that you may go purchase or download from the the copy shop. And uh, in my case, and but there's no solutions, right? So you spend I did spend hours going through these old tests on my own. I didn't know you know there wasn't like a group of us to sit down. Maybe I I should have networked more, but the way I got through it was uh, index cards. Every equation. Oh, really? I put on index cards, and I would, I would write those down and and uh, test myself. You know which which kind of equations and math equations, and uh, you know I took my my air exams were in controls and dynamics and mathematics, and so I would I would do that and and I would test myself by going through those cards, and I, I'd have a stack of like 120 cards for say the math thing, and I would go through. And check that I knew the equations and see how quickly I could get through all of them. If I made a mistake, I'd put it down and go through it a few more times. Uh, but my point was that even if I didn't understand exactly how to do the equation, I was at least going to know that the beginning, uh, you know, the beginning formulas or or the the basics of the equation, so I could get myself into it quickly. So I wasn't sitting there rummaging through my brain trying to pull that information out. So, yeah, I used index cards a lot. I never actually touched an index card in school. <laughs> okay. I did for the language class, but yeah. I mean, I, I definitely would make, you know, the equation sheets and stuff for exams that allowed one piece of paper or whatever, you know, the uh, restrictions were. But no, what I felt was best was just studying in a group, doing my homework with a group because, you know, inevitably one of us would miss some part of a lecture but someone else could explain it and reinforce it and you know you say oh okay that's what he was talking about you understood that part well i managed to get this one and you'd solve a problem that everybody else was stuck on mm -hmm. and that sort of group learning and doing the homework was beneficial to me as was doing any of the review and study sessions that either the teacher or the ta put on yeah i i think that doing the homework is very very important because that is where the learning occurs Yes. It doesn't occur. I, I guarantee it doesn't occur in the lecture. You know, you, you get introduced to an idea of the lecture, but it's until you get stuck on something that's not intuitively obvious and you have to sit there and 
ponder and turn it around in your head and pull it inside out and try to figure out what in the world, how in the world does this problem apply to what I heard in lecture? Because in lecture, everything works out beautifully, right? The professor, mm-hmm. if usually, uh, has crafted the problems that they're going to present so that they, you know, everything falls out so they can finish up in 45 or 50 minutes and be done, right? But they're <laughs> going to give you a homework problem that takes hours usually to do. Uh, and so it has Weeks. some, it, yeah, and it has some twist. And, uh, We're assuming Jared's a, a normal human student who doesn't <laughs> read the chapter of the textbook before he goes to class. There, they talk about it that day, <laughs> right? Although that probably would have been useful. Um, I would also say, if from my undergraduate experience, um, the thing that most reinforced my learning experience was the kind of open-ended projects I got to do when I was working in a research lab at the school. Mm-hmm even as an undergraduate, you know, just being kind of given a totally open-ended problem and kind of an unlimited time to solve it on my own and just spin my wheels on it. You know, it's how I learned VHDL, how I learned to interface with SD, RAM. And I, I learned all sorts of things I would never have learned before. Right. Like, and would never have been you know, introducing class. And more importantly, I had literally nobody I could go ask about it. So I had to go find my own primary sources for the information. Right. And let me warn people, don't ever say you're an undergraduate at an engineering school when you call a company to ask questions about their product. <laughs> you work for General Electric or Rockwell or or Google. Make up a company. I'm a contractor. That's why I'm using Gmail. Well, I'm 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 not going to uh, promote falsehoods, uh, but I will I will admit that uh, companies do not care about spending their time trying to answer questions for engineering students. Yes, they are unlikely to get paid repaid for that time. Whereas, if you really are from General Electric or Rockwell, you might be a potential big client. So, true. And one thing that I'll, I'll speak up and say that I, I wish I did differently, um, you know, in the first question, we said it's perfectly normal to just, you know, not be engaged and just get by. But there were uh, two or three C's that I could have easily turned into B's if I would have, you know, understood, you know, I understood, okay, I'm not going to fail this class, but it's bullshit for whatever reason, you know, teenage me thought was bullshit. And, uh, you know, I slacked off a little too much and I, I could have done more getting by as opposed to just writing off a class and I could have applied myself a little more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think you do not want to give up as even when you know you're going down. (laughs) Yeah. Or you, you realize this class isn't for you. It's not what you thought, but it's, you know, a, core class and you have to take it and blah, blah, blah. You should still apply yourself as if you did enjoy it Yeah. to the extent that you ca- you're capable of. I have, everybody's human, Yeah. <laughs> but don't, you don't, don't find yourself slacking off. Have the willpower to fight that. Is, is this Carmen's youth is wasted on the young and college is wasted on the stupid? No, no, I, I wasn't stupid. I feel like I was human, <laughs> but I, I definitely did get a little lazy and I, I could have, <clears throat> <laughs> Excuse me. Could have brought up uh, some of my grades in two or three classes. Yeah, I and I think good. At least for me, you know, th- this entire process was learning 
how to ask for help before I got in too deep and trying to ascertain exactly what my, you know, uh, how my situation was changing. And, and, uh, uh, you know, these were things that I didn't have to worry about in high school, but certainly, you know, later in my college career when everything, you know, every, all the classes are coming at once and all the homework's coming at once and all the exams are coming at once. Uh, you go, what do I do? How do I survive? And that, that isn't necessarily, it's not necessarily the academics you're missing out on, uh, or, or I mean, that's an important part, but what you're, what you're learning is in the real life, you're unlikely to find a job where they just give you what you're able to do easily. You're likely to find in your yeah. job where, where not always, but a lot of the time you are just completely overwhelmed with all the things that are being requested of you. You don't have clear direction as to how you're going to get it done. You don't get clear direction from your boss about what's the most important, uh, you don't know who's going to call you into a meeting and and uh, 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 braid you for – is that the right word? Berate? Uh, berate. There's the word. Thank you. Berate you yeah. uh, for uh, not having the job done. And so now you have – now it's really important to have those survival skills. You know, what do I have to do uh, in the, the – you know, in the most efficient, most uh, productive manner to get myself out of this mess – uh, so I can get to another, you know, spot where I can collect my thoughts and and uh, figure out what to do next. Definitely, definitely. All right, we have quorum again. I guess I guess so. <laughs> Je- Jeff is the decider, man. He, he <laughs> slams that gavel down. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You want to read uh, question three, Carmen? Sure. Uh, while earning my first BS degree, I realized the existence of some degree of bureaucracy in higher education. It's definitely a business, not a philanthropic organization. I recognize that as a student, sometimes you've got to get through the hurdles regardless of the program and teaching shortcomings. I realize that I'm responsible for my own learning. Are there ways that students can take self-initiative to enhance their education? First of all, very good question. You can tell you've been around the block a few times. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I, you know, this kind of ties in with the other questions, you know, one and two, um, you know, def- definitely watching YouTube videos, uh, you know, and not stupid cat videos or, you know, goofy movie parodies or something, uh, <laughs> YouTube channels that actually, you know, reinforce fundamentals, you know, whether, or a different area, you know, whether it's circuits or gears or automotive applications, something, you know, Grady's channel is a great example. Um, you know, you're, you're enhancing your education because you're seeing real engineers or other students talk about how, you know, the material that they're learning is affecting their lives or, you know, what actual engineering is like, you know, you're seeing them go through a design process, even if it's only just putting it on a breadboard and, uh, you know, putting a scope on it could be more than you've done so far. So you're, you're exposing yourself to the quote unquote real world, um, doing that. And, you know, maybe you won't cure cancer or whatever the equivalent is in your field from that, but you will enhance your education that way. Well, if he wants to go into oncology, he will be curing cancer. <laughs> this is true. Yes. And, and the greatest engineer on YouTube is Electro Boom. I think I've gotten into his channel. Nothing against him. Oh, you haven't watched him? No, I don't think I've seen too many videos. Uh, I'll have to check it out afterwards. He demonstrates current going through water by sticking his hand in water with a live mains AC line in it. Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> and there's more than one episode? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Cool. 
Yeah. So, you know, a lot of that stuff, I think uh, the the key there is that you have some two things. One is you have some context. You you see other people that are are making use of uh, sort of this theory, the engineering science you're learning in school. And you go, ah, okay, now this starts to make sense. I understand where I can apply it. And so that that context, I think, is really important. And the other part is the motivation that you see other people excited about this material, either using it or understanding it better and and spending time trying to share it with you. And that counts for a lot. You know, if you're if you have a textbook in front of you and you don't understand the material and all you have is that textbook to go by and you've reread the chapter three times and it still makes no sense, then uh, short of finding a classmate or an instructor who who can provide that context or that motivation, you're kind of stuck. Well, that's where that's where I was as an undergrad, you know, 35 years ago. Uh, but now we have the internet, we have YouTube, we have all kinds of places that you can go to, uh, you know, read up other other ideas. You you know, there's very little of the basic undergrad engineering undergrad curriculum that is not somewhere online. Now, now the way it's taught somewhere else may not be the same way your instructor is teaching it, but it's taught in, you know, pretty much in some form it's taught somewhere where you, uh, some way that you can find it uh, online and make use of that material and try to give yourself that, that context. So you better understand the material. Yeah. Yeah. And retroactively looking back because these YouTube channels weren't quite uh, as big as they are now, Back when I was in school, mm-hmm. even though that was only <laughs> five years ago, but um, getting to be an old man, like, Carmen. Seriously, <laughs> two two of the areas I'm I'm weak at uh, my my communication system knowledge, which I'm not in that field, so okay, it's getting rusty. But I I didn't do very well in comms, um, and my RF and ENM knowledge isn't the greatest. And going through, uh, Alan Wolke, a guest from a few years ago who uh, works at Tektronics, has a great YouTube channel. Uh, he does a couple of videos on like radio design and impedance matching and, you know, all the attenuators and IQ modulation and just seeing all this stuff like, oh, yeah, it's a pain in the ass and, uh, you know, pages of math, but you can actually implement this thing using, off the shelf 74 series logic and a couple of diodes. Like it's ridiculous. And, <laughs> uh, just, just seeing it all that way. If I, someone could have showed me this 10 minute YouTube video before I took the course, I would have been so much more involved in trying to learn this stuff. And it, you know, if I would have had that at the same time, I, I maybe would have gone into a different area than I did. I don't know. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the other thing is that you see a lot of on, on the internet, um, are people doing small projects. And to the extent you can get involved in a project where you're learning because you want to, pre, uh, uh, move your project forward as opposed to just learning the theory. I think, at least for me, that was always the best learning. If, if I wanted to really understand the material, I would try to find a project to apply it because, uh, until then it was just equations and I would think I understood it. Uh, but when you actually have to make it work in the physical world, then then you really understand it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the problem I found with my comms and EM classes was it was all just whiteboards of equations, and it was really hard to relate it back to anything tangible. You know, like oh, why the hell do I care what that right. you know that is? Right. Now here I am doing layouts, and I'm like, oh, I wish I had some better EM knowledge. What the hell ways the field gonna flow? And yeah. The one I, it always it always flows left or right, Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> what if I turn the board upside down? Still uh, goes still, left or right. Still left or right. <laughs> okay, it flips itself. 
It's the Coriolis effect. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The project I, I, ever since I heard about it, I've wanted to do, but I don't know where I'll find the time was when they had, uh, uh, I think it's Gregory Charvat. Charvat. He was from MIT, but he did the, uh, the coffee can radar at MIT. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, yes. He, he was the Lincoln Labs guy, right? Yeah, I think he was on the Amp Hour a couple times. Yeah, yeah he was. On, that's where I, that's where I heard him uh, the first time on the Amp Hour. It's like, wow, you can build a radar out of coffee cans. I want to try that, and uh, I I can't find enough time to get to anything else around the house. I've still got gutters on the house that need to be cleaned out. So it's not like I'm. <laughs> yes, gonna have but your your wife would be really impressed if you cleaned them with a radar. <laughs> that indeed she would. Focus the microwaves onto the leaves and ignite them, and then your gutters will be clean. (laughs) Right. Actually, there is – I kid you not, there's a video on YouTube of a kid who took a magnetron out of a microwave and starts zapping things with it. Puts it on the end of a stick and starts zapping things with it. (laughs) Probably would clean out your gutters really well. Right. Act as an awesome form of birth control, too. (laughs) All right. I'm not sure where to go from there. I don't know. I can, uh, uh, let me see if maybe it'll fit into a different question here. Hold on one second. All right. Um, no, I, mean, I guess it fits in here as well as anywhere. <laughs> uh, I guess another thing you could do to, you know, self, uh, you know, self enhance your own education, um, you know, find, find an, a topic that you, you care about. And maybe you're already good at this, Jared, cause you, you have a couple of degrees under your belt, but, um, Start reading journal papers on it because there's a big difference between uh, uh, an app note put out by a vendor that is meant to be quickly read and digested easily and gives you a nice, you know, neat closed form solution that'll get you, you know, 90% of the way to an answer. So you can at least make an informed choice and a theoretical journal paper. Um, I'm doing this now with you know, power uh, regulator control strategies. And there's, there's about a million different kinds out there. And I'm, I just kind of dove in the deep end because I don't have a better way. <laughs> and I just picked a topic on a paper that looked interesting and, and tried to read it and I'm getting stuck. And, you know, uh, you keep seeing after a few papers, I see some topics that come up now and again. So I'm trying to chase down sources and it, it's a good skill to have. And I wish I had developed it sooner. Um, and and knowing how to go back to the scholarly journal articles, I feel, uh, if you're going to be doing any sort of work in that area, you know, that would bring you close to pure science, I guess, as you can get in engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, a very good skill to have would be how to read a journal paper. You know, maybe you don't follow their math altogether, but you know how to check it for validity and know what sources to look at to enhance your own knowledge and see where they're coming from in this paper. Right. And I would also say, Carmen, that – Often the sources in the interesting paper tend up, in my experience, end up being more interesting than the paper itself. Like, yes, papers are often just really great collections of, hey, here's where you really want to go if you want to know how this stuff works. Yeah. Yeah, or you know, it's it's you're like, oh, I'll I'll start at this paper because it's only six pages and it it's got to be pretty easy to digest. And they're like, well, going off the work of sources two to eight uh, yes. and adding our little flair, and then they they jump from you know their their basic equation that they set up that you understand to what what is actually probably five pages of friggin' math. And then you're like, how did we end up here? And you got to start chasing down sources. Yes, all of the assumptions are in sources two through eight. <laughs> yeah. 
And you're like, excellent. That's that's brilliant. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> a a subscription to the IEEE will serve you well. Yes. Or whatever journal uh, relates to your field. And a lot of time that's paid for by your employer. Or if you're still in school, you should be able to get access to the library or the department. Yes. I, I was going to mention that, that once you get out of school, if you don't work for a large corporation, these journal articles get very expensive. They charge $35, $45, $50 a piece. And so if your first article references seven other articles, uh, you're kind of up the creek unless your boss is real, willing to fork over hundreds of dollars for you to go collect these things. So it, when, if you're in school at a university, most universities through the library, you can get access to you know most of these journals. If not, they can, they can find a way to get you access. Uh, and as Brian indicated, if you belong to IAAA, IEEE or ASME or some uh, organization, that gets you access to many of their publications. Uh, that that will save you some money. Yeah, I think I can't remember what the membership is annually for the IEEE, but you get. Um, I think I get access to whatever specialty I have so selected. So power electronics, or Pels, I think. Um, and you get up to thirty articles of month that you effectively buy. You get a like a voucher for thirty or thirty two articles a month. So mm -hmm. I've, I've never gotten to a point where I've used all of my articles for a month. So, I mean, it's, it's all the entire IEEE, um, library. It's extremely useful. I can't rec if you're an electrical engineer, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. Although I will add that if, uh, depending on, again, depending on your organization and your industry, but if you go running back to your yes. to your boss and coworkers and say, "Hey, I pulled this thing out of a you know 2002 edition of the IEEE or you know some some obscure journal and and uh, let's do this," and you start saying you know pointing out, "Well, here we're in the partial differential equation here in line eight, and then down here when we do the analysis in in line ten, uh, their eyes are going to glaze over and they're going to yep. go, eh, I don't think so." Uh, w can we just do it the way we've always done it? Uh, yes. So, so uh, just be prepared that uh, uh, although you may f you may feel you found the uh, paper that uh, provides a greater enlightenment, uh, that not everyone might share your opinion. Boom, quorum. Okay, so number four, I have found that I rarely go back through binders from previous semesters to review materials. Uh, from those classes. In an effort to improve my retention, I purchased an iPad Pro and Apple Pencil to go paperless. I figured that if I have everything in one place, it's easier to go through old material. Uh, do any of you have any experience trying to retain anything from past semesters? What worked, didn't work, any experience with space repetition over the long term? This person sounds like a, a man after my own heart. Um <laughs> I, I guess the underlying psychology behind this, at least for me, is you paid a lot and you were given an opportunity to learn a lot of things technically and you want to hold on to that. And you feel like you, you know you have to put effort into retaining it. So, you know, you're willing to take these extra steps. I have not been successful. <laughs> Um, you know, I do, re I do retain all my old textbooks. I find the textbooks to be far more useful than any of my notes. 
agreed my notes when i take notes generally it's it's a way for me to digest the information that's being presented to me in class so if the professor says something and i take note of it and basically create an outline of the lecture as it's going on i'm not trying to repeat word for word what they say but i you know by writing the concepts it's helping to reinforce what uh i'm supposed to take home i never go back and look at my notes you know anything that would be in my notes will be more concisely and accurately be in the textbook but that's just how i am i go back and look at data you know when i run experiments or or tests that i go back to all the time but i never go back to ideas that i've written down because if they're really important then i would remember them well so as as you were uh, explaining your situation brian i i uh, was looking around my office here and counting i have i so i tend to put my notes in either two or three inch binders uh in my mm-hmm. case they have the white binders that have the the uh the clear cover so that i can put a uh, a title down the spine so I can quickly see which binder holds which materials. And I, for most of the classes I took as a, as a grad student, I have those. And, and sometimes they're split up into multiple parts. I'll have the lecture notes part. I'll have the homework part. I'll have the auxiliary materials part. Uh, but as I look around here in this office, I have a number of textbooks, but I can count 41 of those binders uh, sitting in various bookshelves uh, around here. And so, uh, I don't go back to all of them, but I will say I go back to a lot of them. And there will be times when I can't remember, I will, can't remember exactly what the proof was, but I remember that I wrote a proof. Uh, or I can't remember what the note was, but I can remember roughly which class it was. And, and depending on the importance of the matter, I can spend, you know, three minutes to 30 minutes to three hours looking through these various binders, uh, trying to find that solution. So, uh, at least for me, I I tend to remember it by class, uh, and so I don't think whether it really matters whether I keep these in a physical form or electronic form. If I can remember about what class and about what chapter, about where in the uh, semester it was, I can I can find it. Uh, and like Brian, I keep all my textbooks, and I still there. You know, when I have issues, I still go back to textbooks I had as an undergrad. Uh, not that 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 textbook explained it any better, but just I remember about where it was in the book. Yeah. And I can quickly find it, and I look at it, it's like, yes, that was the solution, or that was the... You can index the information faster. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. um, I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a, a gift and a curse, in that it's a gift that this is beautiful, that if you can afford, A, the textbooks in the, in the first place, because the textbooks are much more expensive now than they were when I was an undergrad, uh, and you can afford the space to keep all the textbooks, because now you have to move these textbooks from place to place every time you move. You've got to pack them all up and pay somebody to move them if you if you have a mover or or heft them yourself if you're moving yourself. Uh, but if you can afford to do that, then then it's a uh, it's a great gift to to be able to have your own library. And ask any potential spouse how they feel about your books before you commit to marriage, because <laughs> I will guarantee you, I will say from personal experience, my spouse tried to, without my knowledge, get rid of several of my textbooks. Big fight, big mistake. <laughs> Thought I wouldn't notice that my fiber optics book was gone. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely save all of my books. Um, not as many. I've gotten rid of some over the years. 
uh, just to make moving easier or to clean out my desk. Um, Amazon will usually buy back the books for way more than you can get at the bookstore. Uh, so I usually just take the Amazon credit so I can impulse buy stuff I don't need. <laughs> <laughs> Those Furbies ain't going to buy themselves. It's the Beanie Babies, man. They're going to come back. <laughs> when the economy collapses and you got a barter, everyone's going to want the Beanie Babies. Shotgun shells and Beanie Babies. Exactly. But um, – no, I do reference them from time to time. Uh, you know, the ones I reference most frequently, I keep at my desk at work as opposed to in my uh, office where I'm recording this podcast. And some of the other ones, I've gone back actually just to see what was in the book that we didn't cover. And I'll read a section here and there and just kind of keep it all in the back of my head because you never know. Um, I definitely do not go back to any of my binders or notebooks uh, from classes because like Brian, I take horrible notes and it it's it's better summarized in the textbook. I take exquisite notes. They're just pointless. <laughs> yeah, mine are still pretty damn sloppy. So I guess <laughs> I'm different from you in that regard. But yeah, after I was done doing the homework and got through the class and, you know, the class after that, if it built on it, you know, after I got out of school, I never touched another notebook again. Um, it, the textbooks were much more useful. Um in my professional career, though, what I found is pretty handy is um, I, I keep a folder on my computer and I, I just call it references. And I have a couple subfolders in there, you know, PCB layout, uh, modeling converters, you know, EMI design, whatever. And I every time I find an app note or a paper or you know, something online that I find useful is I, I download a copy and I throw it into one of those four loose so it's loosely categorized and I, I save it and I always go back to those because I'm like, ah, oh, there's that one stupid website and you can never re-Google it and find it when you need it. <laughs> uh, but I, I found if much better than just using bookmarks and stuff because sometimes sites change the way they format their links or whatever and they'll go dead. Friggin' EDN does that all the time. Um, and I, I, it's just much better to have a quote-unquote virtual hard copy and a copy of the file saved on my hard drive. And I, I reference that and I you know, save that and I treat it like gold. And I've referred to that many a times for some random equation that just I can't find anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All my GeoCities links are now done. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and, and Jared asks about the spaced repetition. I think that's uh, – I've read up on that. That sounds like a wonderful idea. The idea is that you um, – if you want to remember uh, some material, you go back and revisit it at uh, differing intervals. Uh, when you're first learning the material, you want to revisit it at, at a very uh, quick interval. Maybe – I can't remember what it is. It's like daily for a while, a couple of days, and then you space it out for a couple uh, – you know, start daily and then a couple of days and then every week. And then you can come back every, to it every month or so. But – uh, by spacing out your your exposure to this material, you can uh, increase your retention, uh, and that always sounded like a great idea. But and I even got to the point of downloading some of the programs to, that were supposed to help you do that, but but I never made it work. Yeah, I can't say I've done any spaced repetition, but I have started. You know, with reading all these journal papers, I can't digest. Is um, as, as I go through, I, I print them out because that's much easier for me to do, and. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go through them on a plane or at home or, you know, when I have a, a free minute at work and I need to rest my eyes or something. Uh, and I'll, I'll read through and I'll, I'll make notes on the page as I go through. And then 
when I'm done reading, you know, I'll throw it aside for a day or two and I have a, a nice notebook I went and bought myself and I will go open to a fresh page and I'll summarize the paper and I'll write down key equations, even if I don't understand them, what references seem to be important, you know, any impressive graphs, you know, summarize my handwritten notes and expand upon them. Uh, and it, it's been pretty useful. I find I retain what I'm reading in these papers a lot better as opposed to just saying I'm reading them, but dragging my eyes over them and then forgetting it all the next day. Yeah. It, it, one of the best ways to uh, remember material is, is once you're done reading it or going through it or reviewing it, don't keep going back and highlighting in the book, that kind of stuff. Close your book, sit down with a piece of blank paper and write down everything you can remember. Right. Mm -hmm. Stream of consciousness, but, but get it out of your system, everything you can remember, and then go back and check what you remembered and what you didn't. If you, if you remembered an equation wrong or you remembered a concept wrong, you rewrite it again, try the thing a second or third time. Uh, but for some reason, we, we seem to think that our retention is all one way. We have to pull this stuff in. But apparently the process of us expressing it, either uh, saying it to other people or writing it down, uh, helps embed it in our mind. Uh, we both retain it better and we understand it better if we do that. And so, you know, lots of students want to sit there and, and reread the same paragraph over and over. Don't do that. Read the paragraph once or twice, close the book, write it in your own words, and then, and then check, go back and check your, your written response against the, the source text, uh, and, and try to get them to match up. But, uh, something about getting the, the information out of your brain, uh, helps you retain that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I do that as I'm reading the paper as well, too. You know, if they'll start with uh, some Visio figures or whatever of a waveform and, you know, mark it up with this is the slope or whatever the hell you need to know. And then they, they set up the equation. I, you know, I'll, I'll double check that on the side on some scratch paper. And does that make sense? And, you know, run through the derivation as, as much as I can, as time allows and as, as my skill level allows, too. Right. And it, it really does help see like, oh, that's how you set up the equation. That's how you, you know, go about this is why you make that assumption. You know, how, how did you get from equation eight to equation nine? You know, and it's, it's not quite obvious and it's not, so it's a more fundamental paper, not check references 10 to 50. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can say, okay, well, what if I assume this is small? Cause they didn't talk about that. Can I cross out this term and get what they have? And, you're actively working for it, and that's that's helped me immensely. Yeah. So, uh, Jared's next question. Oh, this is uh, oh, we didn't call quorum. Oh, but go ahead. Oh, uh, we broke tradition, but it's fine. I'm sorry, keep going. <laughs> um, what do you do when you have a professor who's been teaching the same class for years and only teaches because they're required to? They're just focused on the research with their grad students and treat their teaching like an afterthought. Any suggestions for making the experience better? Go to a different school. <laughs> Drop out. Well. <laughs> uh, or, or take it during a different semester if there's someone else. Uh, well, so you're always, it's always nice if you find a professor who's excited about the material and, and is good at delivering the material. But there's not necessarily any correlation between their ability to do great research and their ability to explain the material, especially when they're, they're usually researching at an advanced level and they're coming back to the very basics and explaining that material. And if you teach that same material year after year after year, it does become a little tiresome uh, trying to find new ways to excite yourself about how to get motivated about teaching these same 
basic elements. All that being said, again, the professor and these lectures are not the learning experience. We'd like to think that we go to the lectures and that's where we learn, but the, the, these lectures are just introducing the material, right? Uh, it, they're, you know, usually you have a textbook or if you don't have textbooks, you at least have notes from the professor. You'll have homework. Uh, you'll have other resources you can go to. And even if the professor is awful, absorb what you can and then go study the material. It's, it's at the point you study the material that it starts to make sense and you seem to understand it. And if the homework is, is, uh, undecipherable, then so be it. You know, you can go and ask your professor for help. Uh, that's, that's one thing that a lot of students don't want to do. They won't go to the professor. Even if the professor's grouchy, you can at least try to go to the professor and get some help. They may or may not give you the assistance you're looking for, but at least go ask. It at least shows them that you're trying too, which, you know, as much as you'd like to think their objective could help swing your grade in the end as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, again, what I would say is that be grateful for when you get a good professor, be grateful for that. If you don't have a good one, well, you're kind of in the program, you know, you've signed up for this, this school, this program, uh, back to, back to question one. The, the goal here is to get the degree to get yourself out into industry so you can begin practicing as an engineer, uh, not to continue practicing as a student. So hang in there and, and, uh, try to do your best to, to get, motivated about the material to put it in context and and make some sense of it on your own. Yeah. And it, it could be that too, that they, they just want to see some enthusiasm. You know, if they're teaching a higher level course um, or a lower level course, I guess that's probably, if you're teaching a higher level elective that they teach, they're probably more involved and you took it because you're interested and they're interested because it's related to their research. But if it's, you know, so-and-so is teaching a basic circuits class or a statics class, um, you know, try, try to show them that you're interested too when you go to their office hours. You know, either you know, say, "Hey, I watched this video from MIT," or you know, this YouTube channel, and I was trying to work it out and see how it relates to our homework, and and show that you're going above and beyond, and not just, "I didn't, I didn't get the answer on number six. Uh, what what was the the thought process?" You know, that show that you're engaged, and you can see maybe you can turn the experience around for yourself as well. Yeah, it's a, don't don't just go looking for answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't don't go looking for answers because I have I have students come in and ask for help and go, uh, where should I start? Okay, that's that's not the answer I want to hear. You, you can tell me what you tried and what didn't work, uh, but but don't tell me where do I start. Uh, and, yeah, and the, the, say I'm having trouble getting started. Here's what I've tried. Yeah, what do you suggest? Yeah, and, is and the other thing I'll pass along is that when you've been looking at this stuff for a long time, you take on a mindset. Of, well, you know, it all becomes second nature. So the first time that someone tried to explain to you that, that uh, you know, sine squared of X plus cosine squared of X equals one, that might have been a little confusing. You know, how can this, how can this be true for, for all X and this cosine squared and sine squared seems a little, and it always equals one. But once you've done that enough times, then you don't think about that, right? You see sine squared, sine squared of something plus cosine squared of something, boom, one. Simplify. Well, if you go to a professor and you just remember that you are asking questions as a beginner, and that's beautiful, right? But sometimes you're going to ask questions in such a way that this, the professor will really have to struggle to figure out how to explain that in terms of everything else to, to bring that up to speed. Um, so don't uh, just, I guess, be aware that 
the, the professor may not have the immediate answer uh, to to explain uh, the the problem in a way that makes sense to you. Because I often find myself, students will ask me a question, I do my best, and then it's like three hours later on the drive home that I go, oh, this would have been a much better explanation of that material, but the moment has passed, and, and all I can do is you know, retain it in my brain and hope hopefully remember it the next time somebody asks a, a similar question. Boom, quorum. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what kind of feedback is helpful for, for, for professors? All right, Carmen, I think I think this is yours. That they don't call me the doctor for nothing. <laughs> the doctor. Uh well, obviously, uh to state the obvious, constructive feedback. Uh, you know, if you just say, Hey, you were a huge tool, I learned nothing, uh <laughs> get bent, then they're they're gonna just throw that on the discard pile and oh, you know, that that eighty one was actually a seventy nine and you just get a C plus. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to grade you on that nice little curve. I have done that, though. I have been very incendiary. and I'm, I'm sure I have. I think I'm looking back with rose-colored glasses, but I was probably a little shit once in a while, too. I'm not talking about bubble shoots. I was justifiably an asshole <laughs> in, in at least one circumstance. And this was well after my undergraduate. Hmm. But... um. Yes. I don't know that it makes a hair of difference. I know that every engineering department head will tell you that bubble sheets are very important. And I know they are, but also I don't know that it's, it's useful. It's, it's useful to the people who are going to take the class next semester. It doesn't in any way affect you and your situation. Yeah. I I know we've, you know, as I got to upper level classes and the projects get more open ended, um, you know, sometimes it's easy for a professor to set out a, set out a project with goals that yes, they could do in the span of twelve weeks or whatever it is. Uh, but they've also been doing this thing for years and years and years, and it's basic to them. They're not going through the struggles of doing it for the first time that you may be going through, and you know, it, it, telling them sometimes like, hey, the, the scope of this project got really big. You know, if you could have focused it just a little bit, it would have been more manageable and we all wouldn't have been in a time crunch. And professors have been generally accepting of that and saying, okay, well, I'll, I'll look in to see what I can do. Maybe I'll loosen this spec a little bit to to give you more leeway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know what? That's very fair. Yeah. Know. Um, yeah, you're not you're not saying make it easier and turn it into everything into a resistor divider problem or you know a, a easy statics problem we all took ten years ago. But you know we we get that we have other classes and please please keep that in mind that we don't all have fifty hours a week to do this project. Uh, Just showing a lack of dedication. <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> well, professor, how does feedback help? Um. Well, I suppose professors like to hear only positive feedback. Well, they do like to hear only positive feedback, but they do like to hear positive feedback. So, you know, from time to time, uh, it, it does take a lot of uh, effort and time to try to put, put together a good lecture. Uh, just because you have, you know, words on the slides uh, does not make a great lecture. You have to think, you know, I have to spend time ahead of time trying to think about what, what is what is the main emphasis I want to make here? I mean, I can 
I can talk at a slide for a long time, but that's not what we're trying to do. You know, what, what is the main emphasis and how am I going to make the, the material flow from this slide to that slide and work through the equation? And once you work through the equation, what do you want to highlight or not highlight? Uh, what can you skip if you get behind? What do you do when you really concentrate on? And so it's a, it's a performance, really. I mean, you know, you prepare for it as though you were putting on a play. Uh, trying to remember the lines and remember what, you know, what you want to do with certain, you know, certain, what marks you want to hit, that sort of thing. So positive feedback is good. If you have negative feedback, do it early. Uh, you know, you don't want to wait until the end of the semester and go, well, this course was crap, uh, or you're going way too fast, or you, you know, this, this, you're, you're, it was too slow. You know, if you, if you have a comment like that, you know, tell the professor, a quarter of the way through the class or a third of the way through the class. Don't wait until the very end of the semester to, uh, 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 to issue that. And I, and I guess, uh, understand too, that the professors are not all knowing omniscient creatures. Uh, they, they are very smart. They've spent a lot of years going through school, but, but they are people too. They have, uh, they, if they're trying to get tenure, they're busy trying to do research. Uh, at the same time, they're trying to manage grad students and trying to get funding for their grad students. So they're writing uh, funding applications, uh, research grants. They're uh, trying to get uh, uh, all this lined up. At the same time, they're trying to come up to speed. They may be assigned one or more new classes in a semester. They're trying to come up with that material, uh, prepare for the lectures, write quizzes, write exams, take care of all that stuff being graded. You know, it's a stressful job. Uh, to be a professor, I don't, you know, this, this idea that, that the professor sort of sits back in his office and smokes a pipe, uh, may have been the way it was done, you know, back in the mid 1900s, but that's not today's professors. Those, uh, certainly those that are, are struggling for tenure are, are not in that situation. Some of those that, that do have tenure, uh, continue to focus very heavily on research. Some that, that don't may spend more of their time once they've gotten tenure, uh, turning back to their teaching and trying to improve their teaching styles. Uh, but uh, I say just uh, be aware that uh, teachers are people too. Uh, they also are subject to uh, uh, the stresses of everyday life and aren't necessarily uh, trying to make your life miserable intentionally. Uh, it just sometimes happens that way because the engineering curriculum is so vast uh, and and so broad that uh, to try to prepare yourself for all the all the ideas and concepts you might come across, and and I will say that we te tend to you know teach this material just in case, right? We at least in say the mechanical engineering, we teach thermo, we teach design, and we teach mass transfer, and we teach controls, and you know we teach this broad spectrum of of all these materials. And in reality, when you go out into industry, you're you know you probably use a small subset of those. But in order to do that, we've got to cover a lot of material, and, and hence these sort of uh, Math Science Death March that uh, uh, Dave Goldberg talked about. Boom. Quorum. Question <laughs> seven. Any advice for preparing for or lining up a great internship? What sort of things should I take into consideration? How can I select a great company to intern with? Ah. Uh, in fact, there's a whole episode in this question in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's any great companies anymore for interns because I think it's too dependent upon um, who you have as a manager or, mm -hmm. you know, a mentor. Uh, 
So, yeah. I mean, you could have you could have an amazing company with some sort of amazing, you know, rotational internship program where it gets you to see all the company, the whole entire company. But you could still end up with somebody crap who's telling you what to do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, but on the whole, general people, you know, generally, you know, certain companies will have a much better reputation than others. And, you know, you can find that out through, you know, your your career office, talking to other students. I know at the end of my internships, I would have to get, you know, evaluated by my boss at the company. But I would also have an evaluation of um, the company itself in my time as an intern. And I the career office definitely kept my evaluation. I think it also went back to, uh, you know, your boss as well. And if the career office was getting enough negative feedback about a company, they wouldn't be invited back to the career fairs. And, you know, if you found them on your own, you could still work there, but they weren't going to, the school wasn't going to champion them and put them out in front of the the kids as a a viable option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all good advice. Yeah, internship fairs. Professors oftentimes know of internships. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and and I think that if you stick – to, to you know, if you work with large organizations, so you know, sort of the uh, GE obviously is is a, a big company that has a lot of this stuff. If you're with big companies, then you usually have enough uh, human resources uh, pr- people around that you know, if things are going a little pear shaped, you can go back and get some help or get somebody involved or ask questions or you know, if you if you go work for a very small company, uh, then you may or may not get that support. There may not may or may not be somebody in that HR uh, role to sort of play referee uh, and try to get things sorted out. I think the people at the the university certainly try to uh, pitch in where they can. But if you're if you're co-oping, you know, somewhere thousands of miles away, well, hundreds of miles away, then they can only do so much from a, a distance. Um, so, I you know, again, I would say that uh, reputation counts for a lot. You know, the, the, the companies that usually have a good reputation, uh, at a particular university, they have that reputation because they've come back for a number of years. They've been committed to coming back and, and, uh, trying to get students to know about their company and their name and, uh, and to, you know, get, uh, get people excited about coming and, and working for them. So, uh, there's something, something to be said for, uh, seeing who's showing up at the recruiting fairs. Definitely. And, you know, when you when you talk to them, if you're trying to get your first internship with no experience, enthusiasm is everything. Show that you have a, a passion for the subject. If you can highlight anything that you've done on your own, whether it's you know, reading the journal papers, doing your own projects, running a YouTube channel or website or something, anything more than just the, you know, we uh, we built a spaghetti bridge in uh, Mackie 101. <laughs> like, yeah, everybody's got that on their resume. They that doesn't make you stand out. Uh, highlight what makes you different and try to keep as much of the standard stuff, especially if they're coming to your school a lot. There's probably a lot of alums and they, they know exactly what they're they're looking at when you highlight, yeah, the, the spaghetti bridge from Mackie 101. They know exactly what that project is. They went through it themselves. They know it was more of a joker. If not, it was a real project. Yeah, but I, I think that uh, you're right, Brian. I think it depends a lot on who uh you know who you get shadow and uh who your boss is that sort of stuff so a a, a good Which is a crapshoot 
It's a crapshoot, yeah. But it's like that when you go to try to find your real job anyways, too. Someone could put on a good front to interview, and then the day-to-day sucks. So it's a gamble everybody takes. Yep. Yeah, and and every company is different. Just because you don't fit or mix with your first company doesn't mean that, you know, you do not have an engineering career. Uh, Sometimes it takes jumping around a few companies, hopefully not too quickly, so you don't uh, aren't seen too as too much of a job hopper. But you know, sometimes it takes a few tries before you find one that fits well. Quorum. Boom. Boom. All right, Uh, Jared's last question, number eight. Any tips for maintaining motivation motivation during certain classes? Sometimes I have to remind myself I want to be an engineer, and this class is part of the process to becoming an engineer, so I just need to suck it up and get through it. Um, I think there's your motivation right there, right off the top of your yes. top of my head. Yeah. There's parts of my job I can't stand, but it's, you know, it, I got to suck it up and do it. This is a job I was hired to do. Yeah, we all have to tap that inner fear of failure in order to get through the really crappy parts because it's really easy to stop. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've talked uh, to a number of people over the episodes here on the Engineering Commons, and, and a lot of the engineers have had some family member that was an engineer or somehow related in a technical field that that let them come in contact with engineers. And I think it's it's much easier to get through. Uh, my father's a mechanical engineer. And so when I was in school, I hadn't a clue what some of the stuff I was studying had to do with engineering. But I knew that my dad was an engineer. And uh, at the time, he didn't seem real bright between the ages, you know, between when I was, say, between the age of 16 and 23, my father was not very bright at all. Uh, he's since become quite more intelligent. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I had a sense, well, if he could do it, I could do it. Or at least, you know, there was some family trade in there where I could, I could make it work. Uh, and so that sort of kept me going. And I know for a lot of students that don't have some engineering connection, then this, you know, the struggle of getting through all the math and all the theory and this constant onslaught of new, you know, abstractions that you have to memorize and learn and understand and regurgitate. You, at some point you go, where, you know, what's the point? Uh, I, I just want to give up. Uh, and so, uh, I, I think Jared, you have the right idea is that you want to be an engineer and this class is part of the process of becoming an engineer, you know, virtually anywhere in the country. If you want to be an engineer, somebody's going to require an engineering degree, which means you have to, you, you know, you get to pick the university, but it, you have to pick some university, uh, and graduate out of their engineering program. And so, um, Hanging in there and showing that determination, showing that grit, showing that perseverance is part of what why people hire people with engineering degrees because they know that if you were a person to easily give up, you would have because the the engineering curriculum is fairly rigorous. Yeah, and what, what was helpful for me too because I didn't really have any engineers in my family growing up um, – was I, I started looking into, you know, I would listen to podcasts and I, I keep turning to podcasts and YouTube channels and, you know, whatnot. <laughs> but, it, but it did help me. And it, you know, I, I got to hear stories about doing designs. And, you know, I read about Jerry Ellsworth and I've talked about Jim Williams a, a million times on this podcast and his art and science uh, books of analog circuit design. That, you know, there's stories from all the quote unquote greats and you, you got to see how they struggled with designs and how they struggled with, you know, how do I teach these interns what it's really like? And, you know, here's how I tackled the nifty problem. And it, 
you saw you weren't alone in it. And, you know, whether you find that on Reddit or through talking to your, you know, coworkers or something, uh, you know, you, you got to find your motivation somewhere to just push through the stuff you don't like. Well said. Thank you. Do I get to call it? Quorum, the, do I? Oh, darn. I wanted to call it this time. <laughs> oh, you beat me. just edit it out. You can no, call no, it if you want. No, okay. that's it okay. It was your thing. You got it. Yeah, Brian started it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, tell you what, we have answered all eight of Jared's questions. Hopefully correctly and in a helpful manner. Whether our answers are correct or not uh, would be under the category of it depends. It's left as an exercise to the reader to determine that. Exactly. It should be intuitively obvious, but if not, feel free to work out the solution yourself. To the casual observer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Show notes uh, 15 through 22 will have all our assumptions in them. <laughs> are you taking care of show notes this time? I guess I need at least 22 of them. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I think that uh, we should call this an episode and uh, promise to get back with our listeners in another couple of weeks. What do you think? Sounds good to me. Brilliant. All right. Have a good evening, guys. Later, guys. Good night. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson. <laughs>